they taught me that inhibitions would kill me. Hit early, hit hard. Kill with the first blow. You get your retaliation in first. Cheat. The gentlemen who behaved decently weren't there to train anybody. They were already dead. Lee Child. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. As we get a little bit closer to Halloween and what Halloween is all about, the spooky, the horror, the supernatural, a lot of the time... Gore and blood. (laughs) Yes, gore and blood. (laughs) A lot of the time that translates in writing to murder and death. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. How in your writing and in your writing alone, how to kill people. I just want to thank Lee for giving me permission to do this episode, and we'll try not to make it too long, because, I mean, I seriously considered making this a bonus episode, because I can go on for three hours on killing people. So if you have a squeamish stomach, this might not be the episode for you. Yeah, you can pass on it. We'll talk about when to kill characters in a future episode. Yeah. Knowing when to kill a character is different from knowing how to kill a character. Yes. This episode, we're focusing on how to kill. If you're considering killing a character and you don't know how to kill them, ask yourself if the character should exist in the first place. Often that question is actually answered by combining characters. But when we're talking about how to kill a character, there are four basic ways to kill somebody. If we're going to have to break it down in some fashion, we're going to break it down into ranged. That includes guns, crossbows, ammo, a good portion of magic spells. Yes. Melee. So if you're using like a sword or, you know, fists, most of my combat is done with fists. AoE. So bombs, stuff that will kill somebody by a building falling on top of them. For those that don't know, AoE is area of effect. It's a very common gaming term. Yes. The fourth way to kill somebody is to poison them. So talk about guns real quick. Go. Yay, guns. Okay, so getting into the ranged weapons. Guns are a very, very common thing in a lot of your action, a lot of your Mm -hmm. science fiction novels. thriller, your suspense. You're going to find crime dramas as well. Yes. I will put down a book if they use guns and don't know what they're talking about. It is very obvious. The first thing, if you're going to write a gun, it is a magazine, not a clip. There are clips but that pretty much only goes in one kind of gun. If you are writing a World War II novel talking about the M1 Garand, you can use the terminology clip because they are actual clips. The difference between a clip and a magazine, a magazine fits into the gun and it will stay there until you release it. A clip, you shove the clip in with the bullets inside of it. The action closes. You fire the weapon however many bullets is in there. And then when it's done, the clip will eject itself. If you go research an M1 Garand and you listen to how it fires, you'll hear boom, 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 ping. Because that ping is the clip, the actual clip, ejecting itself from the gun. Magazines don't do that. If you are writing a pistol, if you're writing most semi-automatic modern guns, it is a magazine, not a clip. 
Also, because of how terminology is used with guns in modern day, silencers are understood to be what they are, but they don't actually silence the gun. So my action hero can't assassinate somebody in a crowded restaurant? No. <laughs> but I have, a, I have a silencer. It's technically not a silencer. It is called a suppressor. There's all kinds of science that goes into how a suppressor works, but most guns, it will not get rid of the noise entirely. There will still be at least the volume level of a hard clap involved. So if you're trying to shoot someone in a crowded room, maybe don't. Maybe go for a quieter weapon because guns, no matter what, will always be loud. One of my favorite quiet sniping weapons is actually the crossbow because one, it's next to silent and two, it's very difficult to trace and three, it's very easy to lurk and get that kind of a weapon without having background checks. And We're in California where we are recording this currently. Crossbows are a lot of fun. A note about bows and arrows though. If your character gets shot by an arrow or a crossbow, with a crossbow, it's a bolt. If your character gets shot, don't yank it back out the way it came. You're going to do at least as much damage pulling it out. Of course, this kind of depends on your character. If the character knows about weaponry, if they know about the human body and how things work, they will know to leave it in mm -hmm. or to shove it through the way it came in. Yes, you can break it off. So that the fletching doesn't go through, not with a modern bow, but if you're writing swords and sorcery style. You can break it off and then shove as much as you can through and pull it out the other side. But if you're writing something modern, just go to a hospital. Yeah, just leave it there until you can get to a surgery place to get rid of it. That's the better way to write it if your characters know what they're doing. If your character doesn't know what they're doing, they can try to pull it out but it will cause a lot of pain. At least as much as happened going in. A useful thing about writing ranged weapons is you can limit ammo. And so you end up in storytelling, end up building this kind of a countdown clock. Okay, I need to get through all these bad guys and I only have six rounds left. I only have five rounds left. I only have four arrows left. Building that countdown clock helps build tension in whatever scene you're writing. So with guns... There are only so many bullets that a gun magazine can hold. Standard, despite California terminology, is the 30 round. If you're talking about like an AR-15 style rifle, standard is a 30 round magazine. That'll change per gun. Yes, per gun. If you have a handgun, average is about 8 to 10, depending on revolver, semi-automatic, all those kind of differences. In action movies, I hate it. When they can just keep firing and keep mm -hmm. firing and keep firing. That's one of my favorite things about the John Wick movies. You can count the rounds he gets off between reloading. Yes. New York reloads are a thing. If you don't know what a New York reload is, it is instead of replacing the magazine, you just drop the gun and pick up a new one that's already Perfect. loaded. Love it. <laughs> Bows and crossbows. You are also going to be limited in time. Yes. Because it takes time to reload a crossbow. If you are shooting a regular longbow, you can be fast, but not Legolas fast. Yeah, no. I don't remember what kind of bow he had in the books, but Legolas, I believe, shot a recurve bow in the movies. 
And those are a little bit easier because they're a little bit more wieldy. Longbows tend to be taller than their shooters. Also, when it comes to bows, the strings. You can't have a preloaded crossbow for long. Yeah, I think the modern crossbow that I have limited it to about two hours of being loaded before you start damaging the string. If you are working with a longbow, obviously this doesn't apply to compound bows. They work differently. But longbows, recurve bows, anything with just the single string, you have to, in between using it, remove the string, release that tension, or you're going to weaken the bow. I actually have a scene in one of my books where my main character is being tormented and he just had this injury on his arm and the bad guys end up making him pull a longbow and hold that position for a good minute and a half. Holding that position is very difficult. Archers and swordsmen can actually be told apart in that era by their muscles, which muscle groups they've exercised. Archers tend to be more burly because they need a lot more muscles to pull that string to get the power behind the bow. So let's move on to melee. This is your area of expertise. So I will let you just talk about melee. So melee includes weaponry. It includes martial arts. Melee includes a lot of your swords and your close-up weaponry. Your daggers. Blades in general. Yes. A lot of your spears also. Anything that you can stab someone with or whack them over the head with tends to be your melee. I highly advocate you do research on whatever your character's weapon of choice is. Have a weapon of choice. Understand how that became a weapon. Most weapons are farm tools initially. You're going to have your trident, your spear for stabbing people, is also really good for moving hay. Also, scythes. Yes. Your Grim Reaper is actually, that is for reaping wheat. And not necessarily souls, but could be souls, yeah. Reaping wheat and souls all at the same time. A scythe is kind of like a three-pointed dagger, but they're really good for moving bales of hay. You stab it into it, throw it over your shoulder, and you go and move the hay to wherever. Most of your weapons, especially your melee weapons, are going to be farm tools. And that's how a lot of combat starts. If you really want to learn how to use a weapon, go to YouTube. Usually people who train and specialize in different swords and weapons will have video tutorials and showing different moves and how it works. That's how I did a lot of my research for my sword and sorcery book. Just looked up YouTube videos and watched how their bodies move and how that weapon is an extension of their body. But the fists are the fun part. So most people will think this character uses swords so they're not good at hand-to-hand combat. Depending on the martial art, they probably are. A lot of your main characters will have a fighting style. Hopefully they will have a fighting style. This is especially apparent in your melee combat. So if they have what's called a finesse weapon, something that you move quickly with to stab somebody then they will be a fast mover. Often a lot of the kung fu is in that category. If your character has a bastard sword, which is heavy and as tall as a person and cannot be wielded with one hand, please don't do that. Their combat style is literally hold on to it and spin really hard and just whirlwind through the troops of bad guys. That is a combat style. I have trained in kung fu and so that's 
my bias in all of this, but having your character with a fighting style is important. Knowing where your character keeps whatever weapons they have when they're walking down the street. Is their style more defensive or offensive? Are they going to focus more on the blocks and the stopping and the dodges? Or are they going to focus on hitting those vital points to take down their enemy fast? There is a martial art based around dodging until the other guy wears themselves out and then just smacking him in the face. But your karate style is very linear where it's a ram straight into their face. Shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Kung Fu, which is again my bias, will be circular. So you're going to get a lot more distance before your punch because you're moving it in a circle first. Knowing your character's fighting style is a reflection of their character as well as their history. And this also makes a difference in what weapon they choose. Because if you have someone that doesn't necessarily care about collateral they're going to choose weapons that do as much damage as possible quickly. Some martial arts are designed around empty hand, karate, empty fist. They're designed around punching. Kung fu is often designed around weaponry, the bladed fans and the sun and moon and all all these interesting weapons, the exotic weapons, are part of the martial art. And so, yes, I can throw a punch. I'm going to stab you with a dagger in the same way I've trained to throw a punch. Another thing when it comes to melee, a weapon that a lot of people don't consider important are hook weapons. Yes. Those are so much fun because they are designed to disable. And disarm. A lot of your hook weapons, you can hamstring somebody very easily. My teacher in Kung Fu said his favorite weapon was probably a cane because you can smack somebody over the head with it and then break their arm with a disarm movement. So let's move on to the next style of how to kill people. And this is your area of effect AOE. Most common, bombs. Yes, or magic spells. Or magic spells. A lot of these kinds of weapons aren't going to be used by your protagonists because of the collateral damage. You have to keep in mind who is being targeted with it. One of the things when you're using a ranged weapon is knowing who's behind your target. One of the things when you're using a bomb is knowing who's next to your target. It's really useful in video games because you can just wipe out the entire group of bandits in one go. But you're not going to see that a lot with protagonists in your stories. Quick notes about how explosives actually kill people. It's not the concussion. It's not the fire that usually is the thing that kills. It's the shrapnel. So a lot of your bombs will have bits of metal in them to send flying. It's not a great way to die. It's a terrible way to die. But again, it can be very effective, especially if you're writing a modern crime drama kind of story or a terrorist action suspense kind of novel. A lot of your dirty bombs include some kind of heavy metal, which will emit radiation. When it goes off, you can dodge it, but you can't dodge that radiation. You'll still die because it's a dirty bomb. It's got plutonium or whatever in it. And the final way to kill people. This is a fun one when it comes to writing because they don't always happen right away. Yes. Poisons. Poisons happen in a lot of different fashions. 
You can have your animal poisons, so your snake venoms, your puffer fish. Those are very popular for something that's going to quickly kill somebody. So you'll tip an arrow with it and then shoot the guy and they'll fall over within an hour. Most poisons are a little bit incremental over time. So somebody who touches the thing and then falls over dead, I'm assuming that's magic involved. Most of your heavy metal poisons, your arsenic, uh, cyanide, a lot of those will make it so your body rejects its own water. And there's a graphic list of diarrhea and other symptoms if you want to go look that up. But your official cause of death is dehydration. There are some more magical ways to poison somebody. In Kung Fu, there is a thing called chi blocking where it stops the body's energy from moving as it should and it shuts the body down. That's more mythical than scientific. But still something that you can apply to your writing, especially if you have a more mythical or fantasy-based system. Mm -hmm. You're going to see that in Avatar, The Last Airbender. The firebenders, a lot of them have the chi blocking abilities. So they'll hit the right nerves and just shut a person down. So when it comes to poisons, this is one area that we would encourage you to do your research. Yes. Look into plants, look into animals and natural poisons, especially if you're writing something that's pre-advanced technology, because they will rely on a lot of those natural poisons in order to carry out poisonings. Mm-hmm. The, the Medici's are fun if you want to look up arsenic. Um, knowing how to find it is also important. Our town is littered in oleander, which is a beautiful plant. But uh, makes for great tea for mother-in-law. <laughs> you can also find antifreeze in basically any car if you know how to get there. My CIA assassin character considered killing someone with antifreeze simply because it was handy and they like sugar in their coffee. Antifreeze is sweet. It's sort of a diet soda over saccharin kind of sweet, but it is sweet. I don't recommend tasting it. As I understand, it makes your blood go into like shards and just shreds your vessels all the way down. It crystallizes. Yes. It's nasty stuff. If your bad guy is a housewife, she might choose poison. She's working with a lot of those chemicals every day. If your serial killer gouges people's eyes out, maybe they're blind. That's a reflection of who they are. There's also kind of this idea between ranged and melee of personal versus impersonal killing. When you physically have to stab someone, if you physically have to punch them, there is an intimacy there in the death that can be harder for your good characters to handle. Yes, and that can be something that scares your nonviolent characters. If I am grabbing you by the shoulder and pulling you into my sword as I'm plunging it into your gut, there is an intimacy we're less than a foot away as I'm watching the life drain from your eyes. So now that we've kind of talked about different ways to kill people and how your characters will choose how to do that, let's talk about actually writing how to die. There's a lot that happens to a body when it dies, no matter how it is. So obviously if they get stabbed, there's going to be some bleeding out. A lot of times that's how they die is bleeding out. Not necessarily that you hit a vital organ that stops unless your killer is very skilled. Yes. If your character is coughing after they get stabbed in the gut, I'll smack you. You have to have pierced a lung because you end up suffocating your dying character on their own blood. That's how that works. 
if they get conked upside the head and they're bleeding out on the pavement and they're coughing? No. Okay, this is the part where if you have squeamish ears, squeamish stomach, you're going to want to just tune out. (laughs) Skip to the end of the episode. We'll see you next time. Yeah. (laughs) So let's talk first what happens to a body if it dies right away. There's usually a lot of blood loss. The moment of death is always very messy. And we're not just talking blood, but there are muscles that hold urine and feces in. Hold those in. And when they're relaxing in that final moment, those muscles relax too. And all of that stuff gets released. Yep. It's a really gross thing. And it's difficult to have a good guy die and like mention that. But that is something that you should know as an author to include an element of realism. If you are going to have someone get shot at a close range... A lot of the times, the bullet itself isn't what kills them. So if you put the muzzle of a gun right up against someone's stomach and fire that gun, there are gases that come out of the gun from the explosion that happens within the cartridge of the bullet that have to be released from the gun somehow, and they come out of that muzzle. And if you have it pressed up against someone's stomach, those gases will go into their stomach and it will tear them apart. You'll see a little bit of a ballooning happen there. Also, when you are losing massive amounts of blood, as the blood is leaving the body, air has to come back into those blood vessels. Something nature abhors a vacuum. Physically, air is coming back in to replace the blood that's being lost. That exchange at the site of the wound, if there's a lot of blood loss very quickly, will actually have a little bit of foam around where the blood's being let out because there's this combat for space within your veins. So that's all kind of what happens to a body when it dies pretty much right away. So let's go into what happens when the body's been dead for a little bit. If you listen to a lot of crime drama TV shows, you'll hear them talking about lividity. They never actually show it. Which some of us appreciate. Oh, oh, most definitely. (laughs) Lividity in a body is when the heart stops beating, there is no longer something there that is keeping the blood flowing through the body. Gravity takes over. So whatever part of the body is lowest to the ground will collect all of that blood. And a lot of the times it will become a weird dark color. It will balloon out a little bit. And that's what they're talking about when they're talking about lividity. Obviously, if you're writing, you don't have to represent that, but you should at least understand what that word means if you're going to use it. So depending on area temperature, rigor mortis sets in slightly different times. Generally, it'll be about an hour after death. The body becomes stiff. You kind of have to break it if you're trying to move it. So if you're moving a body, please move it within the first hour. Something that people don't know is that rigor mortis also comes in two different phases, depending on conditions outside the body. Rigor mortis can last a couple of hours to a day or so. And then it will fade, but then it'll come back. Once all the gases and stuff release from a body, the rigor mortis will return and those muscles will stiffen up again. If you're trying to write something a little bit darker, a little bit creepier, the sounds that accompany trying to move a body in rigor mortis are creepy and they're very gross because it's very much like breaking bones. So that's kind of how to write rigor mortis is just understand that there is going to be resistance. There is going to be stiffness. There is going to be breaking if you're trying to move a body that is in a stage of rigor mortis. 
and knowing how long it's been since the body expired is helpful in understanding how the body gets moved. Another thing that happens to a body if it's been dead for a while are gases. This is something in a lot of history. Part of the reason why they would think that bodies were coming back to life was because of the sounds that bodies make. When you are dead, you have a lot of things inside of you that will react and create gases. They will release and sound like you're farting. (laughs) And if you're looking for a research tangent, saponification. I'm just going to leave that there. And the final thing that we kind of wanted to talk about, this is a particularly gross aspect of death. If you have a body that's been dead for a while, especially in hot conditions, the process of decomposition is accelerated, which means when you try to touch and move the body, the skin will kind of just peel off. It is very disturbing, very gross, but that's a little bit of knowledge that you can have to add a little bit of realism to your book. When we're talking about all of this, understand that this is for writing purposes. You don't have to include the very, very specifics of how a body dies in your writing. If you have a good guy dying, you don't really need to show them pooping their pants as they die. But at least having a basic understanding of what a body does when it dies will help make your writing more realistic, whether you include it or not, because you can have that knowledge with you. In one of the books that I'm working on, they discover somebody who has been dead for about 12 hours sitting on their couch. I don't go into the specifics of the rigor mortis or the lividity, but there are things in there that let the reader know that the character knows what they're talking about when they say it's been dead for about 12 hours. And anyone who deals with that on a regular basis will read it and not immediately go, well, that's just wrong. So there are so many more things we want to cover about killing people. If you need advice on hiding a body, let me know. You can write us the email addresses at the end of this episode. But have fun with it because really it's fun. And until we see you next time, write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing.